He has created us with dignity. It's God-given. It is God-designed. Now, here is where it gets a little bit interesting. It's the identity that God gives to all humans at creation, and so therefore, it does not matter what you look like. He didn't just give dignity to the really beautiful people. He didn't give dignity to just the successful people. He doesn't just give dignity to the special people. What he does is he gives dignity to all humanity. So here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to participate a little bit in this moment. Is I would like you to turn to the person next to you and look them square in the eye and tell them you have dignity. So with that as our foundation, we're going to look more deeply at the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, and what we're going to find are three distinct ways that that is true, that we do, in fact, have dignity. Now, I want you to go, if you can, if you can see it, we're going to look at verse 26. And so dig in a little bit deeper here. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. That is a lot of stuff that humans have dignity and dominion over. So to be clear, we have arrived on the sixth day of creation. And God has spoken all that he has created into existence. That's what God did. But here's where it gets intriguing. In the creation narrative that we've read up to this point in Genesis, you read it and then you get to the end and then he would say something like, and there was evening and there was morning on the particular day. In this text, we don't read that. In this text, that is not what we read. God breaks the pattern with a very significant and important comment for you and me today. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Whoa. There is certainly something to consider there because what we're seeing is a small glimpse into the Trinitarian nature of God. Obviously, it is not fleshed out for us there, but that's what it means when it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. But the highlight that I want everybody to grab a hold of The highlight is that the designation that is detailed in this text sets humanity apart. It sets humanity apart. Now to make clear that man is unique among the creation. He is different. Man is unique because we are the only ones that carry the image of our Creator. We are the only ones. And so to declare that humanity is made in the image of God is to give you and I dignity. It gives us a measure of royalty because it links us with God himself. It is not you and yourself and your your goodness. What it is is it links you with God, the creator. Now, here's what I want to be very clear about. This does not mean that you are God. 
Some could twist that and take that and run with that. What I'm telling you is that does not mean that we are God, quite the opposite actually. Instead, what it means is that our dignity comes directly from our Creator. What God gave to you and to me as humans in creation. That's where we find our dignity. And because this is true, because we have this unique connection with our God, God decrees human dominion. He is the one who decrees human dominion. And this is communicated when we consider two phrases in the text that we're looking at in, verses, in verse 26. Those two phrases are this. The first one is image. The second one is likeness. They sound similar, and yet they are different. They have a little bit of a nuanced meaning when you consider those two things. One is image, one is likeness. A theologian by the name of John Golden Gate explains it best. Here's what he writes. He says, the first word suggests that human beings will physically represent God in a living and a lively way. That means you are an image bearer. The second word suggests that they will be godlike in the way that we do so. That God's created image bearers will carry that out. We will become godlike in the way that we do this. Now, I want you to know this is theologically accurate, but it does lead us to an obvious question today. How can I and how can you ever be godlike? How can we, we're not God, but it says we can be God-like. What does that mean? Well, let's go back to the text. Humans have dominion or authority over the fish, over the birds, over the livestock, and over every creeping thing. That's a lot. Now, what's also true is it is not in some domineering or authoritative way, but instead it is in a way that we care for those things. We nurture those things. We steward those things. You see, humans have been given the responsibility, the privilege really, to steward all that God has created and placed under our care. So we are to have compassion in that space. Now some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Pastor, I don't understand why this is important. Why does this matter in kind of the grand scheme of things? How and why is this important? Well, it's, it's important because what it does is it helps each and every one of us recognize that we are not created some lowly, worthless individual. The fact of the matter is many of us who are here today or many in our family struggle to understand the importance of who they are. They struggle with self-esteem. They struggle with self-issues. They have a very low view of themselves that they are worthless. And I want to stand before you today and tell you that is not true according to the Scriptures. It is absolutely not true according to the Scriptures. Instead, what I want you to hear, I want you to wrap your mind around and your heart around and believe it, that you are made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. That is true of you. And as image bearers of the holy, we have been called to rule over all that God has made. 
And we are called to do so in a way that represents Him well. Now, let's return to the text. Pick it up at verse 27. So, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. We're going to pause right there. Church, that, what I just read to you, is the first poem in all of Scripture. I know many people aren't into the poetry, but this one is kind of significant and kind of important. This is the first poem in all of Scripture, and what happens in this poem is it highlights the humanity as the pinnacle of all that God has created. It is the pinnacle of His creative activity. And so the first two lines of the poem draw out this kind of comprehensive scope of the dignity of humanity. And the third line speaks of distinction. It speaks of distinction. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Scope, dignity. Male and female, he created them. Distinction. Friends, grammar matters. For those students here, when you go to turn in that paper, you're worried about the grammar If you're a high school student, grammar matters. You know that. The older we get, sometimes we forget it and we just kind of fire off those emails and we don't really care about the grammar. I want to tell you as you read the scriptures, as we're reading this text, grammar matters. And the grammar tells us that God is the one doing the creating. Remember that. Plant a flag on that. God is the one doing the creating. And some he made male and some he made female. God purposely separated the pinnacle of his creation into two distinct yet equal genders, male and female. He did that on purpose. And church, this helps us see the second way, the second reality of what it means for humans to have dignity. God designs human distinction. God is the one who designs human distinction. And so therefore, this cultural confusion that we see everywhere today about gender and gender debates, all of that narrative runs contrary to Scripture. I stand before you today not communicating my opinion, not telling you my personal viewpoint on a cultural issue. I stand before you to communicate the view of God that is represented in his word. And it states clearly that humans were made with dignity. And when they were made with dignity, they were made with distinction. And that means male and female. I don't often do this. I don't often refer to our church's statement of faith, but I do think it's helpful for us today as we're looking at this important topic in our culture. You can't turn on the TV. You can't open the newspaper. Does anybody do that? You can't go to your favorite website without reading something about the gender narrative. 
And so I think it's really helpful for us to plant a flag and to say this is what we believe as a church community. So I'd like to read to you our statement of faith uh, here at Woodside Bible Church on human sexuality. Here's what it says. God created human beings, male and female. Therefore, we hold the distinction between the two sexes to be sacred. We believe that God disapproves and forbids any attempt to change the appearance or identity of one's biological sex by medical, surgical, non-binary acts, conduct, or by any other means. That's what we believe as a church. Now, for some of you, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Pastor, that sounds a little cold. That sounds a little mean-spirited. That sounds perhaps a bit judgmental even and, and unloving to emphasize it and to make a point of it. When we consider dignity, when we consider the reality of human life, we must stand upon the Word of God as our foundation. I am not swayed by opinions and feelings about that particular issue. And I want to encourage you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you shouldn't be either. That doesn't mean you should be intense and mean about it, but I want you to have a foundation upon which you stand. It's not feelings, it's not emotions, it's not trends. The Word of God states clearly in the very first book, Humans have dignity and they have distinction, male and female. He created them. So, as God's people, you and I are called to then affirm the uniqueness of that distinction. So let me give you a few kind of statements here I want, you to, I want you to think about. We affirm the equality of men and women. We affirm that. We celebrate the differences between a man and a woman. God did not make them the same. He made them different, and he did so for a specific purpose. Women are uniquely gifted. Men are uniquely gifted. That's the way God designed it. So we affirm and we celebrate those realities. We renounce patriarchal kind of platforms that put men up on a pedestal and make them authoritative. Give them power over women in domineering ways. We renounce that. Conversely, we also renounce a radical feminism that seeks to overrun any aspect of the male role and responsibility. Why do we stand on those? Because God made male and female unique and amazing. So in summary, we honor the unique roles, the unique roles that each gender has been blessed with by our Creator. We honor those. 
So God's design for humanity includes both his decree for human dominion, that's our first point today, and his design for human distinction through male and female genders. Now let's continue on in the final portion of today's text to see the third way that we have been designed for dignity. Let's pick it up at verse 28. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heaven and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening. And there was morning. The sixth day. There's the phrase. We get to it, but we get to it a little bit delayed. You see, God has given the pinnacle of his creation dominion over other creatures. And here what we find, we see clearly that God has given us dominion, but also specific responsibilities, and we find it in this text. And this gives us the third way that we can see that God has designed us for dignity because God directs human duty. He gives you and I specific duties and responsibilities. Because we carry so much dignity, because we are made in His image. It is God's desire that we would have two very specific responsibilities. Now, theologians refer to this as something called the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. The first part of our job description is for humans to be fruitful, multiply. This is the point of the sermon where I don't think I need to clarify what that means. I don't think I need to go into great detail on what it means to be fruitful and to multiply. Perhaps I do. You're an awfully quiet bunch right now. What does it mean to be fruitful and multiply? It means to fill the earth with image bearers. You and I are called to fill the earth with little images of our Creator. To do this, and I'm going to state the obvious, gender distinctions are in fact required. To be fruitful and to multiply means we grow families. We grow families. That's what we're called to do. That's the first part of the cultural mandate. The second part of our job description as part of the cultural mandate is to subdue the earth. You and I are called to subdue the earth. And I'm guessing that for some of you that sounds kind of interesting. It should sound interesting. I hope, in fact, that you're sort of compelled by this. You're like, I got the multiply part. I got the be fruitful stuff. But what does it mean for you and I to subdue the earth? This means that God's image bearers are called to care for and cultivate our world. We are to care for and steward our world. This does in fact mean that God's people should be intrigued by science and exploration. We should be intrigued by that. 
This does in fact mean that we should be about discovery and conservation. This does in fact mean that God's people should care about technology and about sustainability. Church, caring for our world is not a political issue. In fact, I would stand on the stage and tell you that actually it has been stolen from the church and made a political issue. The fact of the matter is caring for our world is a spiritual issue. It's not just something that we can cast aside and say, well, that's a political deal. It is a spiritual thing, and it is one that God cares deeply about, so deeply that he has given his image bearers the task, the duty to carry it out. Now, yesterday, a group of us, we went to Donaldson Hills Elementary School on our spring serve day. Many of you were there, and what we did is we, we got down on our hands and knees and we pulled weeds We trimmed shrubs, planted flowers, spread mulch around, and there was a lot of mulch. We were there for hours. And some of you might think, well, that's good, Pastor. That's a a nice, kind, practical work. And it is. But it is also a spiritual work. Because the families who were there, all the men, women, and children who were there, they were practicing the duty that God has given us in the cultural mandate. We were subduing the earth. That's a spiritual practice. I love the way John Stott describes the significance of this act. When you and I practice the cultural mandate, here's what Stott writes in in a really wonderful book uh, called The Radical Disciple. If you've not read it, I highly recommend it. Uh, The Radical Disciple, here's what Stott writes. It says, God intends our work to be an expression of our worship. It's an expression of our worship and our care of the creation should reflect our love for the Creator. This is God's design. This is where I'm going to turn it a little bit and recognize and just speak openly and candidly about this, but we fail in this stuff, don't we? If you're anything like me, you fail in your duties, you fail sometimes in the way you live out your distinction, and you certainly fail in the way you kind of carry out dominion. But I don't want to leave you here. I don't want to leave you in this negative place saying, wow, pastor kind of set this all up and he leaves me right there at the end and just kind of punches me and and hits me hard. This is why we need a savior. This right here is why we need a savior because our efforts to please God in our actions, we don't always measure up. We simply can't do it. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. But Jesus can. Jesus did. And that's something that you and I can be incredibly thankful for. Where we neglected our creator and the duty that he gave us, Jesus did the opposite. Everything that the Father gave him, he fulfilled. Everything. He fulfilled what you and I could not. You see, it is only Jesus, the Christ, 
who brought dignity from our destruction by dying on a cross. It is only Jesus who brings dignity to all humanity by fulfilling the will of the Father. It is only Jesus. So if you are here today and you are in Christ, if you were here today and you'd say, I have placed my faith in Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, then I want to leave you with a word of encouragement. I want you to know that you have been set free by Jesus to live in the dignity that you have as a child of God. You can live in freedom. And you can rest in the fact that God has, in fact, designed you for dignity. Why would he do that? For his ultimate glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.